You know the difference that it makes to attend some function that you expect or anticipate there to be a large turnout or a large attendance, whether you're hosting it or you're simply in attendance. Think of a, a concert or, or a comedian, a performer that you enjoy who has booked this large venue. Now imagine what it would be like to show up there and to be surrounded by empty seats. Or if you got a, a VIP invitation to a, a local eatery, a new restaurant in town right around the corner from where you live, and they were promoting it with some special deals in their grand opening, and you decided to head on over there because it sounded pretty appealing, and you show up and there's not a single car in the parking lot, and there's one or two people in the restaurant. The fact of the matter is that prior to the pandemic, I suppose, on, on, on one level, we are kind of accustomed to this. We're used to watching things where there's no people because it wasn't permitted to attend in person. But barring that, when we go to some function like this, we expect there to be large numbers of people. And if there aren't, we draw certain conclusions. We perhaps temper our expectations. If there's not a lot of other people there, maybe we missed something. Maybe it's not a good concert. Maybe it's not real great food. Or maybe, maybe it just was organized poorly. But to not see a lot of people there kind of lowers our expectations a little bit. In, in that regard, numbers matter. They kind of leave an impression on us. They validate, they give credibility to, to one thing or another, don't they? So maybe you've wondered, what is the attendance going to be like in heaven? How many are actually going to be there? And you could make a case for saying that it's going to be absolutely filled with numbers beyond what any of us could ever count. And you'd be safe making that assumption based on uh, the way that Daniel in his vision or even John in, in the vision recorded in Revelation speaks about thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands, probably referencing angels, but not necessarily limited to just those saints, but also believers who have, who have died and gone home to heaven. And you think of the ministry of Jesus and how large crowds followed Jesus. Read through the book of Acts and you see uh, time and again how it's recorded that the Holy Spirit added to their number several thousands on more than one occasion, day by day, as, as the word was preached and shared. And, and if you were to, to look up, I believe the number now is, is above 2.5 billion Christians, supposedly, in the world. Now, don't put too much stock because I don't know what the definition of Christian is using that criteria. But that doesn't even include all believers throughout history who have gone before us. So potentially we're talking about billions upon billions upon billions, if not trillions of, of saints based on those numbers. But on the other hand, if you look at the chapter that preceded our focus from the gospel this morning, right before Luke 14, in Luke 13, Jesus says this, as a, a warning, Luke 13, verse 24, he says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Now, is, is Jesus speaking about the large numbers that will be left on the outside looking in, or is he emphasizing how few people will have actually made it in? And you look at the, the words at the end of Jesus' parable that, that he did speak in our gospel this morning, 
And it becomes clear as well that not everybody obviously is going to make it into heaven. He says in verse 24 in the parable, the master says, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Not one of those who were at first initially invited to the party are going to ever set foot inside. So which is it? Is, is heaven going to be filled with more souls than we can possibly ever count? Or is it only going to be a few? And I know this is nobody's favorite answer when it comes to questions about heaven, but we can't be sure. We simply don't know. The numbers that are given to us are figurative. The number 144,000 in Revelation is a figurative number. Thousands upon thousands seem to just impress that there's going to be a lot of people there, but then there's the warnings that there's not going to be. So we just simply can't be sure. So rather than discussing or debating how many there are or trying to put our finger on that, the unknowns in regard to heaven, let's focus on the knowns. And what are the knowns? The things that we can control. Well, to make sure, one that we get there, and two, that we take as many along with us as we possibly can. Now that phrase probably sounds a little, a little off to you to say, to make sure that we get there, because if, if you've ever read Scripture, if you're familiar with what the Bible teaches, you recognize full well, there's nothing you can do, there's nothing I can do to ever get to heaven. Jesus has done everything. Start to finish. Jesus has paid the price. Jesus traded heaven for earth to be our sacrifice and our substitute so that by his perfect obedience, it would replace our daily disobedience. How do you, how do you pay a, a debt that has already been paid? How do you try to convince a judge that has already ruled you innocent, not guilty on the basis of what Jesus did? There's nothing you can bring to the table. There's nothing that is left to be done. Jesus has done it all for you and for me. He's taken care of that work. So what do we mean when we say make sure that you get to heaven? Maybe the better way to think of it is make sure that you don't forfeit the gift that has been given to you. Make sure that as you consider the price that Jesus paid to make you his and to write your name in the book of life, make sure that you don't do anything that would ever jeopardize that or see that name scratched out of the book of life. It's a free gift, but it can be rejected. It can be lost. It can be forfeited. And Jesus seems to take pretty seriously that warning in this parable. When you think about it, there's a number of ways that Jesus could have told the parable when, when he explains the servants that, that went out to follow up on the invitations that, that were first there. He could have just said, and a number of those gave some excuses and they're not going to make it to the party. But it's interesting that, that three different unique excuses are provided. As if Jesus is emphasizing there's going to be a whole lot of people that are going to come up with a whole lot of reasons that they're not finally going to be at home in heaven. So it appears that, that Jesus is quite serious about that, but not just the reality, that the danger of forfeiting the gift of heaven, but he's also very serious about the fact that he wants as many people as possible to be there. Notice how many times he sent out his servants? 
He didn't just give up and say, all right, I, I sent out the invitations. Go follow up with those who were invited. The servants come back and say, hey, no go. They're not interested. They're all busy with other things. King says, all right, go bring the crippled, the lame. Hey, we did that. Guess what? There's still room. Hey, go out one more time and invite anybody. Why? He explains it in verse 23. Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. So those two truths we know that there are going to be many on the outside looking in, many who came up with excuse upon excuse upon excuse. And we also know the truth that, that God wants as many as possible in heaven. And he's, he's done everything to make that possible, hasn't he? There is still room. I explained it in the, the children's message. The whole point of that trunk or treat invitation in the service folder is, it's not that it's for you. You already know that you're invited. That invitation is for you to extend to somebody else to invite them. And it's the same when it comes to our status before God and our assurance of heaven. You, by God's grace, already know heaven is locked up for you. It's a done deal. So now we focus on taking as many as we can with us because everything is always better with friends, right? So we have those two things to focus on. And maybe it's just one. Maybe one that you need to give attention to. If you are inclined to be doling out and, and giving excuse upon excuse upon excuse, then it's time to get your act together and take seriously the warning that Jesus gives here. To make your faith and growing in that faith a priority so that you aren't found on the outside looking in. Because realize that, that every time not only you give an excuse, but you buy it yourself, it's kind of as if you are hammering in one more tent peg, making this your permanent home, earth. The short time that we have here. So if that's what you need to give attention to, then, then make that your first priority. But if, on the other hand, you are rock solid in your assurance of heaven, unwavering and confident and, and looking forward to that with such an eagerness, in fact, maybe you can't wait to get there, okay, then work on the other thing. Inviting as many to, to be there with you as possible. Speaking of there, let's talk a little bit about that because that's the question on everybody's mind, isn't it? What is there going to be like? What is heaven going to be like? You saw in, in both of the, the, the readings from the Old Testament and the New Revelation and Daniel and elsewhere in Scripture, there's a common theme in the way that it is pictured as a, a wedding feast or a banquet, a great big meal. Is that what heaven is going to be like? Is it, is it going to be, uh, Psalm 23, the table spread before us with the most tantalizing and, and decadent food imaginable? The perfect cut of meat, perfectly cooked, that melts in your mouth? Or for those of you that, that aren't maybe meat eaters, the, the perfect plant-based meat replacement that, that somehow melts in your mouth the same way? Whatever it might be. Are the beverages going to be chilled just perfectly or, or not too hot that they burn your tongue? Are there going to be appetizers? How many courses are we talking about? Three, five, seven course meal and dessert? Is there going to be dessert? We want to know these, these answers, don't we? But again, as I said earlier, 
The fact of the matter is that we can't say with certainty. I wouldn't take issue with anybody that says, yes, absolutely, we are going to be enjoying eating food at, at a heavenly banquet because Scripture uses far too many pictures to rule it out. But the other side is true as well. If you consider the context of this account, Jesus is actually at a meal at a Pharisee's house. And remember the statement that was, was spoken to him that kind of initiated this parable Leading into it, verse 15, when one of those at the table uh, with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So is the parable that Jesus then uses just kind of a segue, a tie-in, because this man was speaking about a meal and they were eating at a meal. And is it possible that, that maybe what's behind all of these these vivid imagery of feasts and banquet and food in heaven is simply that God is trying to tie for us, to connect to us something that we can finally conceptualize. Otherwise, how would you describe heaven using experiences or terms or words that we're unfamiliar with? Food, though, that we know. Food we enjoy. So it's entirely possible that it's merely figurative imagery that God uses to help us understand how wonderful heaven is going to be. Rest assured, though, if, if there isn't literal food that we are eating, you won't be disappointed. And if we do enjoy it, it's not going to be because we need it. It's not going to be food or drink for sustenance because the Bible says that we won't eat or drink in that regard. We won't thirst, or ever be hungry again. But maybe it's in God's plan that we'll simply enjoy the blessing of food properly. Speaking of enjoying, maybe there's more to it there as well. Do you ever ask why it is that we enjoy anything in a broken, fallen world? It's interesting how the, the skeptic to Christianity wants to quick run to how a, a loving God could ever allow anything bad to happen in the world. And I'm more and more inclined to continue asking, why should in a broken, fallen world, replete with sinners, why should there be anything good in this world? Why should we experience even an ounce of joy or happiness or bliss or pleasure or satisfaction? Why should, why should we have any of those things? Well, yes, God is good. God is gracious. I think we can rule out that God allows pleasure and joy in those regards, even, yes, food, so that we become more attached to and attracted to this world. That's not his intent. But maybe is it possible that every good thing we enjoy, every pleasure, every happiness, every positive experience we have on earth, God has granted merely to give us a taste, an idea of the pleasure that is waiting for us in heaven. And food would certainly fall in that realm, wouldn't it? Speaking of food, food is, is good and great, but isn't a good meal made even better with friends. Think of how many times you've maybe sat around a, a dinner table with bland food, and yet it was palatable because you enjoyed it with good company. Or times that you had a great meal, an exceptional meal, and it was made even better because you enjoyed it with people that you really cared about. 
Don't let that element of eating food be lost on us, that it is so often for us a, a means by which we gather together, in which we establish and form community. What do you do around food? You tell stories. You share hopes. You share dreams. You build community. How many of our own family traditions and rituals during the holidays or other times of the year are centered around food, not just because food is so great, but because we, it helps us think of and ponder the joys of being together with those we love. Food brings people together. And when you think of the, the potential saintly smorgasbord that is waiting for us at home in, in heaven, how wonderful to not just consider good food, but, but good food in the presence of all of the saints who have been bought and paid for by Jesus' blood. And yet there's something that, of course, is going to be even better, regardless of there's a banquet or any food whatsoever in heaven. You might remember, I don't know how many years ago now it was, there was a, a, a popular slogan that seemed like everybody had the t-shirts. It was a plain white t-shirt, and all it had was, was a few words in black font and a picture of whatever, uh, whatever ball associated with your favorite sport or event. And you know the phrase probably, Basketball, baseball, golf, soccer, tennis, whatever it might be, is life. The rest is just details. And if you saw that shirt, you, you, or if you had some of your own, you recognize that you put that on and you're letting everybody else know, this is, this is my sport, this is my thing. I don't get worked up about really anything else in life. This is what I'm all about. Can you imagine us, us wearing that kind of shirt in heaven? Only it's not going to have any sport-associated ball or, or any uh, instrument used for, for any sporting event. Rather, in place of that, imagine it just saying, Jesus is, and we could even add, eternal life. And the rest is just details. Because food or no food, banquet or no banquet, my loved ones that I'm really going to miss or those that I... That isn't going to matter. The best part of being home in, in heaven, the known, is that we'll be with Jesus. We'll finally be in his presence. Yes, he promises us his presence while we are here, but he says that when I bring you home, you will be in my presence forever. So as we consider the hope of heaven today, we want to make sure that someday when, when we're there, if they're passing out those, those t-shirts, that, that we make sure that there's one for us, that we are sporting Jesus' life, the rest is just details. And not just that. We want to make sure to, to bring as many other people along with us, wearing the same thing, experiencing the same joy, the same hope of heaven that waits for them too. The best part will be that Jesus is there and will finally get to be with him. May God in his grace grant that for all of us and for all of those he might use us to bring there too. Amen.